Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Today, I don't know where to tell you to turn in the scriptures because we are going to be all over the place. Today's going to be different, uh, something we do, I don't know, every three, four, five, six months, I get to co-teach with somebody, which is one of my favorite things to do. It's funny, we were laughing, Nate and I, we laugh a lot, but we were laughing recently when we were trying to do math and calculate the average age of our staff, and it is stupidly young. In the 30s, for sure. Uh, it's pretty funny how God has been really gracious, and there's beauty in that, and sometimes that means there's, there's things lacking. And today, we get to uh, bump our age up a little bit with my co-teacher, who is unbelievably wise. Every time I meet with Ed, who will join me in just a second, I, I'm truly astonished and grateful I just get to hang out with somebody like Ed. Ed is uh, really a top scholar and theologian probably in the world. We use the Holman Christian Standard Bible for our translation of the scriptures. And so often we'll forget this book that we read and study and talk about. It was not written in English. It was translated from multiple different languages and cultures from thousands of years ago so that you and I can read it today and study it. And Ed was the general editor of this translation that we use, which basically means he was in charge of the team that was taking it from those languages into accurate uh, language that we can understand and that holds true to what God's intent was. I mean, that's pretty mind-blowing when you think about this scale. He's led churches, very large construction companies. He's written books. Uh, I always say this, and someday hopefully it happens. I think a book should be written about Ed's life. He's just a spectacular guy, and he's gracious enough to be here almost every week and, and participate with us as a church family. He's unbelievably humbly, humble and easygoing, except he did have one request. He wanted a walk-up song, so we're going to put a song on as we welcome Ed up. If we could go do that now, and you can welcome Ed up for me. Time you danced. All right, that's enough, Tina. When Ed and I got together, I asked him if he wanted to, to co-teach with me at some point, and he was gracious enough to say yes. And very quickly, once we talked about the, the topic of love, we're in this series of looking at what it actually means to be loved by Jesus and what it actually means to love like Jesus. And instantly, he's like, there's a song by Tina Turner. We should play it right out of the gate. I'm like, okay. And he told me all about Tina Turner, like her life, what the song's about, where she lived, where she died. Apparently, she died in a castle. I had no idea, but Ed knew this. Every time I meet with Ed, I feel pretty inadequate after because he'll be like, he'll say phrases like, uh, of course you know that such and such did blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yep, 
No, I can't lie to you, Wade. I had no idea about that. In fact, I don't even know who that person is. And then every time we meet, pretty much, Ed brings a bag. And he doesn't just bring me a book. He brings me a bag of books. And he'll be like, when we talk next, which is like next week, you will have read through those. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that, Ed. But thank you. He uh, has been a huge blessing in my, my life, and uh, I'm really thankful to have him here. So what's going to happen today is going to be different. We're going to interact and discuss and talk. I, I told the last service at nine that I was on a va- vacation this past week, and each morning, either Chelsea or I would wake up and we'd make coffee, and we'd make a pour-over, and if you've made a pour-over, it's sort of a labor of love. It's kind of annoying. It takes too long. You have to grind the beans, and then you got to wash the filter, and then you got to warm up the the mug first, otherwise by the time the process is done, your coffee's cold, it's not good, so then you pour it over, and it takes forever, you're sitting there, and you're like, I just want my coffee now, because we live in a quick fix world, and it takes time, and as I was thinking about what we'll talk about today, it made me think of the process of making a pour over, it takes a long time, and it's annoying, and you think we should already be there, and you're not, but at the end, it's worth it, and I think what we're going to talk about today is a tiny bit like this, it's going to be something that over time, you think about, that over time is going to help you understand what it actually means to be loved by our God, and then what it actually means to love the people sitting next to you, and your neighbors, and your coworkers. but it's concepts that take time to, to drip slowly for you to understand, and maybe not to understand intellectually won't be the challenge, but to really take these in and let Christ make them a part of who you are, and then how you love others, that does take time. It's the the power uh, of the Spirit. One of the things Ed and I were talking about through this process, or another thing he taught me, is that the Eskimos have how many words for snow? 28. And why is that? I guess they've got a lot of snow. (laughs) (laughs) That, I would assume, is is accurate. I'm 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 sure Arabs have more than one word for camel. Probably. That that would also make sense. Or maybe sand or something. Think about that. 28 different words for snow. Snow doesn't seem all that important. Obviously, a little more important to them. But that many different ways to describe the different variations of snow. Seasons, how much water and moisture is in the snow, what type of use there is for that type of snow. And you know how many words we have for love? one that we really use. It's just love. And it's one of the most profound, complex, probably the single most meaningful thing in our entire world. And for those of us that speak English, we have one word to try to speak and articulate and give meaning uh, to this concept of who God is and how he cares for us and what he calls us, the ways in which he calls us to, to relate to others. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about this a little right, bit. Right, but what, let's go back to Tina. Oh, back uh, to Tina. Ed loves, Ed loves Tina. Yeah, so what, is, what does Tina say love is? Secondhand emotion. And what else? Oh, boy, he always quizzes me. Uh, a notion. Uh, An old-fashioned oh, that's what notion. There you go. An old-fashioned notion. Two things, you know. <laughs> Uh, an emotion. Well, I told him about a friend of mine that uh, has a daughter who uh, uh, has been married for 25 years, uh, and her husband came home and said, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. Well, my, you know, this friend wrote me and, and asked my advice and so on. My first thought was, well, 
if he doesn't, he says he doesn't love you, the scripture says, husbands, love your wives. It's interesting, in both Colossians and in Ephesians, where Paul writes to the church, he doesn't tell the wives that they need to love us. <laughs> but he does say they need to be submissive. Ooh. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting, when you read the Bible carefully, uh, it's not something that Paul made up. Uh, in our language, we don't think about commanding people to love. And I thought about saying to this guy, you know, you know you, you're commanded to love, but he's not, probably not a Christian. And so you can't command and expect a non-Christian to live like a Christian. The command to him is, you need to be born again. Uh, then, of course, you can learn and have the empowerment of the Spirit to learn to love. But in the Old Testament, one of the first things that Moses says, you need to love God, and you need to love your neighbor. And then when Jesus was asked uh, in the New Testament, as they were trying to ask him questions to catch him, uh, they sent a guy who was a scholar in the, the Scripture uh, what's the most important command in the Bible? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So since love is so important, the most important command, it's, you know, it's all in the Old Testament, it's all in the New Testament, it's you know, one of the great verses right here, John 3.16. Yeah, it says, but you've probably heard in the NIV, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As Ed and I were talking and pointed something out to me about the translation of probably the most famous passage in all the scriptures that I had never learned, and it's really, really profound. And so in the HCSB that we use, this is why I think translation matters. Here's how... Uh, the verse is read, for God loved the world in this way. So you'll see that highlighted on the, the card next to you. In this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The difference in those two translations, because neither of them were written in English but translated to English, again, through culture, custom, language, and many years, is the difference in degree and manner. One says, this is the degree to which God loved, but the other says, this is the manner in which, this is the type of love. Here's the ingredients that make up the love that God has offered to us, and then the elements of that love that we are to then give and provide and choose to, to seek out for others. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. There's different ways to, to break down love. We're gonna look at seven elements of love from one of the books that Ed told me to read called, what is it called, Word. On the Love of God. On the Love of God by and John the other book, The other book that we talked about, we haven't mentioned, uh, C.S. Lewis was asked by the Episcopal Church of the United States uh, to do some lectures. And so he did uh, a series of lectures on the four Greek words for love. Uh, so we have normally one word. Greek has four words. The first word is eros and we get the English word erotic from it. 
the Greeks used this word to cover a whole bunch of things. They even had a god uh, called Eros. Uh, and they used it for falling in love. They used it for sexual, uh, in, you know, for sex. Uh, they used it for affection. They covered a lot of things with the word. Now we, you know, we would never use the word erotic uh, in, uh, in our language uh, to talk, for example, the relationship of a mother to her child. Uh, they would use another word. They would use the word, the Greek word, storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. And that's the love of family. It's a different kind of love. Uh, it's affectionate, it uh, puts up with a lot, and so on. Uh, the, the third word, <laughs> the, the, the third word is, is uh, uh, philos or philia. And we have, in English, we've, you know, a lot of our, our words are taken from either Latin or Greek or German. The city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia, two Greek words, philos and Adelphia, brother. So the, the city of Philadelphia, they chose this word, and they, they advertised that they're the city of brotherly love. And then the fourth word, uh, is the more, com more common in the New Testament uh, is agape or agapao, the verb. The noun, agape, a little uh, rarely used word in the Greek. In, you know, Greek is a language that was, has been used for 1,000 BC to the current time. And so there, this uh, Greek has, has used a number of words. Eros used to be a popular word with the Greeks, uh, and uh, philia. But when you got to the New Testament, uh, agape was a word that, that uh, was chosen by the Christians to describe the love. And this is the love that we're trying to describe. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book, and by the way, I forgot to tell you this, but uh, uh, <laughs> The Episcopal Church didn't like uh, that one of his lectures had so much on Eros. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, the book is still in print and, and uh, worth buying. It's uh, not easy reading. C.S. Lewis is, you know, he was quite smart. And you'll notice if you read the, the, the Wall Street today, there's a big long article about Tolkien. Hmm. And C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, were uh, close friends, and they had part. You know, they they uh, read, read each other's works and helped each other. Okay, what are we? Gonna go, where, where are we going to go now? You, you taught a class on C.S. Lewis, right, or a course? Yeah, I taught a course. I taught a course on C.S. Lewis. I, I told him this is very practical. You know, he's got a daughter, and supposing she comes in and says, "Dad, many, many daughters, Dad, actually." Yeah, he's got many daughters. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know. Say uh, one of your, your daughters comes in and says to you, I want to get married. And you say, well, uh, who? Dumb oh, Joe First I say no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says he loves me. And you should say to him back, well, is it storge love? Is it erotic love? Is it philia love? Or is it self-sacrificing love? Uh, say, you need to go back to him and, 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 and test him with these four words. If he doesn't come up with agape, 
Uh, We're out. It's not time for him. I'm going to send him to Ed and make him write a paper. (laughs) (laughs) So, as you can see, there's a lot, uh, I think, missing in our language about love. I think that's why there's such discrepancies. When Ben, one of our elders, taught uh, a number of weeks ago, we talked about the things that love is not, but our culture says love is a mere feeling, and then all of a sudden the feeling disappears, or love is the equivalent of being kind or nice, and that's seeking someone's best interest when really that's not. It's probably actually just selfish because you don't want to deal with conflict, and so there's got to be work put in to understand what it means to be loved by our God and what it means to love like. Our God. And so we're going to look at these seven elements from John McIntyre's book. Uh, We're going to do a few things. We'll name the element of love, kind of ingredients of love, if you will. We'll see where we see it biblically, though there's many places. We'll show at least one. And then something that I like to do is provide kind of alternative perspective. So in this case, what distortions or twisted loves will become reality if we leave out any of those ingredients? If you go to bake something or you use a recipe and you leave something out, it's probably not going to turn out well if it's a key ingredient. It's the same with love. A lot of us have not thought deeply enough about the love that God has offered and that we are called to offer. And so we might be missing one of those seven. And so as we walk through this list, that will be uh, a lot Think about that. Think about the components, if any of these seven are ones you don't realize that God is consistently bringing to you. Think if one of those seven are something that you don't give to others, and we'll, we'll move forward in that way. First is concern. And we have chosen uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, uh, and, and down to verse 10. Uh, Moses is a shepherd. He's been raised, uh, I guess you're supposed to say reared. I say raised, I don't say reared. (laughs) (laughs) He was raised by an Egyptian princess and he was educated uh, in all the wisdom and learning of the Egyptians. At age 40, he committed a murder uh, uh, when he saw an Egyptian uh, mistreating uh, one of the Hebrews, and he was, of course, a Hebrew. And so he uh, ran away, because they were going to kill him, and he became a shepherd. And so for 40 years, he took care of sheep. You know, it's interesting, you know, the kind of people that God chooses. Uh, David, the greatest of, of them, he was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Now, sheep are not very bright. But, you know, I guess that's what uh, they, they had good people. And it took a long time to learn. Anyway, uh, Moses was out minding his own business, taking care of the sheep. And all of a sudden, his, he sees a, a bush burning. And it wasn't being consumed. I've got to go over and take a look at this, you know. Uh, you know and he, he walks over to, to the bush And God speaks to him from the center of the bush and tells him this. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, 
and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them to that land, to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I've heard the Israel's cry for help, and it's come up to me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing. Therefore, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I think it's important to recognize that God observed, God heard, God saw he was concerned for his people. Not just concerned for salvation, but he's concerned for the details of your lives. That's significant. The almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfectly loving God of the universe is concerned about you. What you enjoy, what you struggle with, what you're confused by, what's going well, what's going terribly, he has concern for you individually. And then he calls us to have concern for others. And I think it's just a helpful exercise to go, who else are you concerned for? How often do you put yourself at the top of this list? It's the the first ingredient in a biblical, godly, agape-type love. And the, the inverse, if we don't have concern, I would say love without concern will be twisted into abuse. If you're not concerned for somebody, you're willing to use them at some point, and that's how an abusive relationship is born. Second, Love is commitment. So we have love is concern. Second, love is commitment. How do you see that playing out, Ed? Okay. Uh, God's love as commitment is seen in a variety of ways. Uh, One of the ways is that God adopts us. You've adopted a child, haven't you? Uh, So uh, you, you made a commitment to that child. That child is now your child. Yep. God has made a commitment to us. He's adopted us as his sons and daughters. And uh, furthermore, uh, he has given us uh, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Greek uh, word that Paul uses in several places is arabon. And in, in Greek, that's the word that's used for the engagement ring. And it's also used for a down payment on mortgages. Uh, Some of us are having those things. But anyway, uh, God has made the down payment on our salvation by giving us the Holy Spirit as the seal. He is uh, called uh, the engagement ring, the down payment, the pledge. And he's the one who ratifies a new covenant with us by the gift of the Spirit. So, love is commitment. And love without commitment will be twisted into a relationship that only lasts for as long as it's convenient. If there's not commitment, it's good while it's convenient, it's good while it provides something, but then it'll, it'll come to an end. What, what scripture would you use for the third? Love is communication. Hebrews uh, 1 is what we picked. It says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has anointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Think about that, that first verse again really quick. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. What that means is that you had to wait for those different times and different ways and different places to hear from God until God himself took on the form of man in the incarnation. Jesus walked in the dust with the sandals, fully human, fully God, and then gave us his spirit to be our counselor with us Always, And so the communication you have access to now with God always is entirely different and entirely better than what was given in the Old Testament. I think it's something that we greatly take for granted, the, the commitment to communication that God has offered to us. Come other things, communication, we would say, uh, this is the word of God. It's one of the... Manifold ways that God communicates with us through His Word. He communicates by His Spirit. Uh, he used to communicate, communicate a lot by dreams, visions, and trances. But finally, in the, a Son. And the Son, in the, the Gospel of John, in the first 18 verses, He's called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and then the most quoted verse uh, in, in church history is John 1.14. The word became or took on flesh and dwelt among us. There's a need for communication. If love is communication, love without communication will be twisted into a mere transaction instead of a relationship. And this happens all the time in relationships that we have. If you're not communicating, if it's just the math of it, you do this for me, I do that for you, you have a transaction, not a relationship. And oftentimes, that happens in our human relationships, and oftentimes, I think that kind of just trickles into our relationship with God, and we do the math of it, and we say, thank you, God for saving me from hell so I get to go to heaven. And that's the extent of what the relationship looks like when he's given up everything to be able to communicate with us consistently. Next, love is community. Uh, Ed, do you want to read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20? Uh, in this passage, we'll read about the church as the body, that we are the body of Christ with many different parts, even as God himself is community. He's a triune God, a God of Father, Son, and Spirit. God has relationship. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, what would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, but one body. 
We live in a culture that continues to progress away from deep and meaningful relationships, and part of how we were designed to be human was to be communal. And so even church often can be relegated to distance and the intake of information and a process instead of being shoulder to shoulder, hearing each other sing, encouraging one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, mourning with those who are mourning, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing to love requires community, and we're meant to follow in the example of, of our God in that. Without, or love without community will be twisted into isolation and loneliness, and unfortunately, that's a reality for many different people. Community, when we say God is community, uh, we may ought not often think about this, that God himself is community. There's Father, Son, and Spirit. They are not just modes uh, but that's his eternal essence. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and uh, he has a fellowship in himself. And therefore, our salvation uh, is a type of aspect of being brought back into fellowship with God and into a fellowship with one another. Next, love is involvement. This one's pretty simple. Think about it for a second. You can't love somebody if you're not involved in their world. A father cannot love his children very well at all if he's not involved in what's going on in their lives. A a wife can't love her husband. A a husband can't love his wife. Neighbors cannot love each other if they're not involved in each other's lives. And these are things that we're commanded to. And as Ed quoted earlier out of John chapter one, the word became flesh or took on flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, that's as involved as a God can get. He could have stayed distanced on his throne in our, our concept of heaven, but he came to walk the earth alongside of us. And so we are called to walk alongside of others in the good and the bad moments. Love is involvement, and without it, love is twisted into a relationship with an expiration date. As soon as involvement stops, eventually that expiration date is set, and the the relationship will end. When we see this in our, our culture consistently, you can see the end of involvement in a relationship marking a future end date. And Jesus is too committed to us to ever let that happen. And that's what we're called to for one another. The basic, the basic doctrine uh, of uh, involvement is the incarnation. God saw us in our need, and he involved himself uh, by becoming a human. And he also taught, Jesus taught one of his most famous parables, the Good Samaritan. You know, you know, other people pass by and the Samaritan stops and involves himself with the person in need. And involvement's costly. Yeah, it was costly. He, he, he actually paid for the guys staying at the motel and uh, even paid for additional if he needed. Yeah, it's big. Two more. Love is identification. I'll, I'll read in Romans 8, 14 through 17. All those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is 
kind of simple to think about. It's like being married but refusing to wear the wedding ring, saying I do not identify with you or I choose to free myself from that identification. There's a lack of commitment. And then love without identification will be twisted into something reserved merely for the shadows. There's a shame and a guilt that keeps you from honoring what the relationship is meant to be publicly, to celebrate it, to cherish it. And it's astonishing that God does that for us. He calls us, refers to us as his bride, or in other cases, as children that have been adopted as heirs. We are identified as the prized possession of God Almighty. That's pretty meaningful. And the next uh, is really, we'll go back to the same passage that we started with. Love is response and responsibility. Uh, we uh, quoted uh, the scriptures first by uh, the Lord saying, I've observed the misery of my people and I've heard them crying out, he hears our prayers by the way, because of their oppressors and I know their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them. Now the interesting thing is uh, responsibility. Uh, you know, uh, Moses is there, God comes and tells him what he's going to do uh, and then God says, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. <laughs> Moses says, who am I that I should go? <laughs> then I should uh, bring the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. Well, if God tells you to do something, uh, yeah, you don't have to ask yourself about your, your capability, it's, it's, it's God's capability. He's gonna bring out uh, the children of Israel by signs and wonders. It's good. Exodus is this sort of springboard for all of the scriptures. And so when we see all seven of those elements packed into this passage, as God observes the needs of his people, we see that he's concerned for them and he's concerned for you. We see that he's committed to them and he is committed to you. Even when you mess it all up royally again and again and again and you are not faithful, his commitment is to be faithful to you always. Uh, he will not stop communicating even if we give him the, the silent treatment or we're just bad communicators in general, he will work and work and work and communicate with us. When we are uh, entering this loneliness or isolation, he works to bring community. When maybe we've created distance, he brings about involvement. If we want to disassociate, he continues to say this you are my child. And then he takes responsibility. This is the gospel, that it is not on you to be who he's made you to be. He has said, you are my child and I will lead you forward. I will make you and form you and save you and restore you into the man or the woman that you've been made to be. And so that's a deep level of love. Seven words, seven elements. Back to my, my coffee picture. That takes time to go, am I understanding God's concern for me? Am I grasping his commitment and how he communicates? Am I understanding how he's involving himself in my life? How he identifies me? How he takes responsibility and responds to needs in my life? And then, are you doing that? I'd encourage you to take the card next to your seat or on your seat this week and reflect, are you loving if you are married and have a husband or wife, are you loving in these seven ways? Which of the seven do you struggle with most or do you neglect? For your kids, are you leaving one of these or multiple of these seven out? What about for your neighbors? 
Maybe it's an exercise to go through this week as you walk through your day or you drive, you go to work and go, am I loving in these ways? Because that's the love that Christ has offered to us. That's the love we're called to let him bring out through us by the power of his spirit. Another thought uh, that you might try uh, in your Bible study, take each of these and see if you can find a verse of, of God's love for us for each of these features, and then uh, see about a, a verse for the, uh, the other side, our love for other people. We've uh, chosen a passage that we'd like everybody to read together with us. And you'll strike, you'll be, you'll be struck, this passage probably has more about the love of God than any other passage in the Bible. Uh, so we're gonna read together. Uh, you wanna stand with yeah, us? Yeah, if you're able and you can stand with us, I think there's power and proclaiming the truths of, of First the John, with one voice. Uh, chapter four, verse seven. Dear friends, let, let us love one another because love is from God. And, and everyone who loves has been, has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.